roots back to basics, y'all. Back to basics, back to basics, teaching you truth that you really need to know. Back to basics, back to basics, talking about the church, living life to the fullest. I know that that's ridiculously cheesy, but how many of you guys think that that was awesome? Yeah. Yeah. Pete and Chris uh, spent way too much time putting that together. Um, the first time I heard it, I was looking um, at like a PBS screen. That's what I was imagining, you know, an informational thing. I don't know. Um, but I'm really excited about tonight. And uh, if you haven't already caught on, tonight is all about the Bible. And we're kicking off a new series called Back to the Basics. Um, there's a lot of things that the church sometimes just expects us to know. Um, things that maybe you don't know and you feel stupid for asking questions about. And so what we're doing um, at, here at Thrive is going back to those basics, back to those fundamental things that we all need to know uh, to help us understand why we do things as a church, um, why we believe what we believe, and things like that. And so you've heard lots and lots of scripture tonight, but before we really dig into the message, uh, would you pray with me one more time, please? God, just thank you for tonight, and while it's been hectic and chaotic and... Um, We've had to change a lot of stuff around. God, we know that you're still in this, and we know that you're still here. And God, I know that you brought each person into this place for a specific reason. And so tonight, Lord, I just pray that you would allow us to have fun together, allow us to fellowship together, and allow us to learn something. Um, please help us just come into this humbly um, and receptive and ready to take notes and pay attention and actually understand why we believe your word and believe it as truth, God. And we want to thank you for that truth. Uh, we want to thank you for uh, a scripture that, you know, while the flowers may fade and the grass may wither and die, your word is forever. And God, in a world that has full of changes and full of unconstants, thank you for being the one constant that we have to hold on to. And we ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. So, um, a lot of you guys probably don't know this about me. I said it, I think, before here at Thrive, but I am one of the most directionally challenged individuals on the face of this planet. And uh, a few weekends back, actually I think it was only a week ago, um, I took a road trip, and um, I took a road trip with one of my buddies, and on this road trip, I kind of thought, you know, I know where I'm going, I know the way, um, so we didn't use a GPS for a portion of the trip, and we went probably 20 miles opposite direction of where we were supposed to go before my buddy was like, dude, stop being stubborn and just put it in the GPS, and um, so this happened multiple times throughout our trip. And so this trip has become known to us as the trip of the U-turn. Uh, because every single time we would punch in the actual GPS address, it would just say, at the next legal spot, make a U-turn. Uh, and I don't know what a legal spot is, but we made all of uh, Florida and the states in between legal spots for U-turns. Uh, and, and the reality is, guys, so many of us are on a journey. And on this journey, we're listening to voices um, listening to directions, and sometimes we're navigating without the map, uh, without the GPS, and because of that, we're going off course. And so I want to talk about tonight the different voices that we have in our life that we have to listen to and why we should choose to listen to the voice of truth. See, the reality, guys, tonight is that Satan is a liar and a deceiver, and so he's going to tell you lies about your life. He's going to try to convince you of things that aren't true about who you are and what he has for you. And the only way to combat those things, to combat those lies, is with truth. And that is exactly what the scripture is, is gospel truth. You see, God has made it possible for us to not be lost. He's given us a map, the Bible, to get the best out of life. 
to guide us and to take us to our ultimate destination. And so who are we listening to? You know, like I said, there's so many voices competing for our attention in the world today. Uh, One of the biggest things is a school system. You know, we're in the public schools for 15 years, 16, 17, depending on who you are. And um, they they push evolution, and they, they tell you that religion is nothing more than something that creates wars and causes political tension and, and boxes you in. And so you have this voice speaking to you. And it's as if they just push you out like a tube of toothpaste with no questions being asked. And you have to just believe this cookie-cutter set of things about religion. And there's some facts that I think are kind of crazy. Uh, since 1900s, the percentage of the world's aesthetic and non-religious people, so those are people that are agnostic, who believe in a higher power, but not necessarily God, and the secularists. Now, secularists just mean that they don't have an actual set of religious beliefs. Listen to this percentage. has grown from 0.2% to 21.3%. So in other words, from less than one-fifth of 1% to over one-fifth of the entire world's population. See, this is the most dramatic change on the entire religious map in the 21st century. Secularists, or the people with no religious commitment, are the second largest group of people, growing every year at a rate of 8.5 million people. 8.5 million people who are deciding that they're not going to conform to religion for whatever reason, because they've been told lies about what church is, about what the Bible is. 8.5 million people drifting away from the gospel truth. Here's some more stats that are rather uh, scary, honestly. And it's the average TV viewing of an average American. The average American will watch four hours a day of television. That equals to about two full months a year. 60% of that is while you eat dinner. You see, we see more TV each year than we're spent in a classroom. We'll watch 200,000 acts of violence and approximately 16,000 murders by the time we're 18. 16,000 murders. Now these are average national statistics. And so nobody's in a position here tonight saying that um, we're just indoctrinated by the Bible and that we're supposed to somehow be impartial. Uh, The point is, is that we do have all of these voices calling to us, telling us what to believe in, telling us what's okay, telling us what our moral compass should look like. And see, it's up to us tonight to realize who are we going to listen to? What voice are we going to respond to and allow to guide us? What voice will we choose to listen to? As I was getting ready for this message, um, I was on my MacBook, and it kept popping up, MacBook cleaner, MacBook cleaner. And it made me start to think, you know, what is a virus on a computer? Well, a virus is something that, um, it, it pretends to be something that's supposed to be there, but really it's not, and it, and it destroys your computer. And so something that I think a lot of us need to do tonight who have grown up in the church and maybe even not in the church but have been against the church for so long for a lot of reasons, maybe something we need to do tonight is run our antivirus software. Uh, get rid of those misconceived notions about the Bible and about church um, and, and realize that those things that are there that we think are supposed to be there are really destroying us on the inside. Maybe we need to realize why the Bible has stood the test, this test of time. And so in order to do that, uh, i got a few facts for you about the Bible. Uh, just some stuff that you guys might not know, and if you do, that's great. The Bible is the world's first published book. It's translated fully into over 2,000 different languages, and it's being translated right now into more. For centuries, people have tried to discredit it, but have failed. You see, it's stood the test of time. 
and has remained best loved in the best-selling book of all time. I think that's amazing. Some people sometimes ask me, who wrote the Bible? Um, They're confused about that, and so I want to answer that tonight. See, the Bible was made up of 66 books. 39 of those books are Old Testament. 27 are New Testament. Now, those books were written from a period of 1,500 years, so over a span of 1,500 years. See, they were written by 40 different human authors in three original languages with remarkable unity. Its story and spirit is about the plan of God's redemption for humanity. And the amazing thing about the Bible and all these human authors having such perfect unity is that they were written by one divine author, God. You see, we live in an age where 200 million emails crisscross every single day. Uh, our, our ways of communication have shifted to DMs on Twitter and, and messages on Facebook. And we have all these ways and text messages at our fingertips. But yet still, where do we go for guidance? Still, people choose to read a book that's over thousands of years old for wisdom and truth. There's power in that fact, guys. There's power in that reality. Another reason why we need to believe the Bible is because all Scripture is God-breathed. See, the Bible is not a collection of Jewish myths or whispers of folklore about God and what He might be like. It's not the views or opinions of what spiritual people thought about God at the time. And neither is it that these people were inspired to write the Bible like Shakespeare was inspired to write his plays or Beethoven was inspired to write his music. But this inspiration was God-breathed. And we see that similar phrase, God breathed, when God created man. It says that God breathed life into Adam. And so we see here that this Bible is God breathed. It is life giving. And it's something that God has given us to cling to, to speak to men who were filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to read from 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 21. And it says this, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. There's a quote from Bishop Hanley Mole that I want to read, and it says this. It says, The breath of God was in each scripture as man's breath is in his words, making them to be the vehicle of his thoughts. Making him to be the vehicle of his thoughts. See, another thing when we look at the Bible is that this divine origin of God's power and who he is, his death, resurrection, crucifixion, the whole story, the whole shebang, is supported by prophecy in the Old Testament. See, we've got to remember that the Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years, over 40 different authors living in different epochs of history. So they were all from different come-froms. Some were doctors, some were teachers, all from different places. Some were tent makers. But you see, we were, they were all under the inspiration of a Holy Spirit. And they would write and foretell about the future life, death, and resurrection and return of Christ. You see, men like Moses who lived 1,500 years before Jesus, said a prophet would be raised up greater than himself. You see, a man like King David, who lived 1,000 years before Christ, but he foretold the death and resurrection of Christ in his writing. We see a man of Daniel, who lived 500 years before Christ, and foretold the return of Christ, and many others who wrote about Jesus Christ have been fulfilled. You see, in total, there are 322 specific prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus Christ, and many of these prophecies have already been fulfilled in the New Testament. This might not seem like much to you, but I want to help you get your head around this fact. Um, If only eight prophecies, okay, listen to me, if only eight prophecies were fulfilled, 
the likelihood of that is 1 in 10 to the 17th power. Uh, So I want to give you a few things that are more likely to happen than that. You are more likely to get struck by lightning. You are more likely to win the lottery. You are more likely, since it was Derby Week, to win a triple crown. So if you're not getting the idea here, uh, let me help you even further. Imagine the state of Texas, and the state of Texas is covered. Every single uh, surface space of the state of Texas is covered in chocolate chip cookies two feet high. I don't know about you, but I'd move to Texas if that was a reality. It's covered in chocolate chip cookies two two feet high. Take out the chocolate chips and one of the cookies. Throw it back in the mix, mix it all up, blindfold yourself, spin around three times, and then walk across the state of Texas and find that one cookie. And find that one cookie. This is how big this is. This is how big of a deal this is. And that's only if eight prophecies were fulfilled. But guys, we have to remember, Jesus didn't just fulfill eight prophecies. He fulfilled 322 recorded prophecies and 29 of them in one day. 29 of them in one day. Guys, that's amazing. And if that doesn't speak to the power and the providence of our God, then I don't know what else does. If that doesn't validate and validate the Bible, then I don't know what else can. But still, we see many arguments. Uh, one of the arguments that's most common is, well, the Bible's been copied through the years, and it just can't be trusted. And so any Christian really has to ask themselves, can the Bible be trusted? You see, firstly, the scribes who wrote down the scriptures, they were professionals at their jobs. They were meticulous, and no errors were ever left unnoted. And present-day scholars are actually able to test how accurate these um, scribes really were. In 1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And these scrolls were written by a Jewish group. This Jewish group was called the Essenes. The Essenes. And they lived 200 years before Christ. See, all these documents that were found in the Qumran cave were Old Testament were written in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so paleographers would say that they were written around 125 B.C. And in this cave, they found a complete scroll of the book of Isaiah. Now this was a huge deal for the Christian community. And this is a huge deal for us in this room. And let me help you understand why it was such a big deal to the church. You see, prior to this find, the oldest copy of the Hebrew Old Testament was the Masoretic text of Isaiah, which is a thousand years older. So you see, the Masoretic text, which is a thousand years older than the scroll that they found in a cave, untouched, a complete scroll preserved of the book of Isaiah. And see, here's the amazing thing, and why it speaks to why the Bible can be trusted. This older version, a thousand years older, had no changes besides some minor spelling differences. That's amazing, guys. Another fact that supports this is you see the book, The Septuagint. Now, if you don't know what the Septuagint is, you're going to learn a little bit uh, about some Bible knowledge tonight. The Septuagint is the Greek Old Testament. Okay, and the Septuagint was written in 250 B.C. And the amazing thing about that is it substantiated the accuracy of the more recent Hebrew text. And so what you see is you, you have the Greek work and the Hebrew work. Different time periods, different people, and they support each other. They don't conflict. They don't contradict. They support each other in unity. Another fact is there are over 500 complete copies of the New Testament that are available in more than 24,000 partial books, the earliest copy being 125 AD. 
I think that's awesome because that's written with about a hundred years of the time of Jesus being on earth. In comparison, the writers of Homer, who is one of the most widely read authors of antiquity with the book Iliad that he put out, comes in a distant second with what was written in 900 BC and the earliest copy dating 400 BC. So we see here a 500 year difference later than the original and it only had 643 manuscripts to support it. And so we see 24,000 against 643. I think that's absolutely incredible because we have um, historians and people who say that they're atheists who look at Homer's book, the Iliad, to do their studies and believe it to be factual. In fact, archaeologists actually use some of these facts in the Iliad to find certain things. They believe it to be historical. And, and I think this speaks truth to us tonight because so often we look at this book of the Bible and we read all these stories that seem so profound. You know, our next sermon series is Bedtime Stories. And we're going to be talking about all the amazing events that happened in the Bible. Sometimes it's really easy for us to forget that these people were actually people that this stuff is actually things that really did happen and take place in our world that were properly documented and supported by history. Another argument is that archaeology has proven the Bible wrong, and these type of statements were spread greatly in the 20th century. But there's a fact about that too, and the fact is that more archaeologists have discovered and made support to the Bible than the latter. There's a specific archaeologist I want to talk about uh, tonight, and his name is Nelson Gluck. I think we have a picture of him. This guy right here, he's pretty prestigious if he's on the cover of Time magazine, okay? And I want you to take his word seriously because he made 1,500 discoveries using the Bible as a guide. And he even states that no archaeological discoveries have ever been made, have ever been made that contradicts the historical content of the Bible. There's another archaeologist and theologian, and his name is Josh McDowell. And he wrote this, he said... After trying to shatter the history and validity of the scripture, I came to the conclusion that it's historically trustworthy. If one discards the Bible as being unreliable, then he must also discard almost all of literature of antiquity. Man, that's amazing. These are guys that know their stuff, that aren't even in the church world, that are supporting the biblical claims that the Bible makes because of fact. Because of fact. Another argument that we so often see in the church is that the Bible is just a brainwasher. It's just something that uses emotion to persuade people into believing certain things. They often see the Christian evangelist as a psychologist, someone who wants to just psychoanalyze and manipulate weak minds to conform to the teachings of the Bible, but that's not true at all. You see, the truth of the matter is that what people perceive as brainwashing is just Christian conversion. I want to read um, John chapter 3, verse 3. And it says this, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, this idea of Christian conversion is new birth, new life. The Bible is a book that, with the aid of the Holy Spirit, it brings transformation into the lives of millions of people. People in this room. Maybe you. Transformation. I heard a story one time about a philanthropist who was traveling to this jungle in a third world country. And uh, when he got to this place and he saw this tribe, this tribe was reading a book that looked to be the Bible. And this philanthropist was an atheist. And so he was all set back and he said, no, 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 you don't want to read that. We don't believe that anymore. And the leader of the tribe spoke up and he said, do you see that pot over there? Without that book, you'd be in it. 
So we see a story of, of the reality that these people were looking to the teachings of the book. And we see how strong this book can be when explained, expounded, examined, and engaged in a spirit of humility. We see that transformation can take place in our life. We heard Tara read tonight 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. And I want to put that back on the screen, and I want to read it again. It says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned, and have firmly believed, knowing from who you've learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I love this part. All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. For every good work. And so some people might think, you know, this idea of transformation, it's so subjective. It's so subjective. And so how do we understand this idea? Um, There was a guy who ran track at Campbellsville with me, and he swore that if he ran without his shoelaces and his shoes, he could actually run faster times. And, you know, everybody thought that he was absolutely insane until he proved it on the track when he broke the school record for the 100-meter dash running like a 10-2. It was insane. And he did it without shoelaces in. And so it's hard to argue with somebody, even when their concept is very subjective, when we have an objective thing to look at. The objective thing in that was he was running faster on the track. And it proved his subjective idea that he would run faster without shoelaces. And the same thing is true with Christ and this idea of transformation. You see, we have an objective truth, and that is Christ Jesus came to earth, lived a blameless life. He died on a cross for our sins. And on the third day, he was rose again, and he is coming back. That's the objective truth that is proven in history. And it proves the claim of our subjective idea of life change. And another thing that that was asked uh, in a study with Josh McDowell is, how many other people have had the same subjective experience? You see, we thought that it was crazy that this guy ran without shoelaces actually made him faster because he was the only one who ever had experienced that. I don't think anybody in the room would say that they run faster without shoelaces on or that maybe you guys have never even tried it. Um, but, but I think that a lot of people in this room could say that their subjective, life-changing experience is validated by the objective truth that God came to earth and died for us. It's proof, and not just in one or two people, but in hundreds and thousands and millions of people Every single year. Every single year. See, this is why Christian conversion is so much more than just wishful thinking. It's more than just a product of one's imagination because it's proven time and time again. See, we started tonight looking at this idea of being lost, and I was telling you the story about my trip and making these constant U-turns. And maybe for you tonight, all of these facts have just been like thrown at your face, and you're like, holy crap. I don't know how to respond to this. I don't know how to take this. You know, I've always read the Bible as just being this book, and I didn't realize that it stood the test of time, and I didn't realize that it was validated by these people, and that it was God-breathed, and that it was this life-giving thing. I've been listening to all the wrong voices in my life. I've been listening to media, to the wrong group of people that I've been hanging out with. I've been listening to people who've told me I'm not worthy, and that church isn't for me because I'm too broken and too messy. Well, tonight, like the story, maybe it's tonight that we look at the map that God's given us and we make a U-turn. We make a U-turn. And we start clinging to God's word that is God-breathed, that is true, that is life-giving. 
You see, so often we look to the Bible and the scripture when things are hard. And guys, I want to tell you tonight that the Bible isn't just dessert for special occasions, but it's bread for daily use. Last night, my sister and my mom made cake pops. Amazing, by the way. I ate seven of them. I felt like I was going to throw up. You see, that, that's what happens so often for us. During these difficult times, we, we try to dig into the word because we, we just kind of forget about it in our day-to-day life. And it's easy for us to be overwhelmed by it and just kind of have a sick feeling in our stomach because we can't process it all. Because it's new to us, because we haven't conditioned ourselves to be prepared for that word. But then you look at the idea of bread. How many of you guys love O'Charlie's bread? Yeah, I think that that is an amen moment right there. Thank you, God, for O'Charlie's bread. But the thing about O'Charlie's bread, they give it to you before your meal. And what happens? You're still hungry. See, that's the same thing when we get into the word every single day. It's enough to feed us, but it leaves us still hungry for more. And once you start getting into the word of God every single day, you'll find yourself wanting to read more and more and more and learn more and more and just be fed. And just be fed. So tonight, maybe for the first time, you're gonna look at the Bible when you go home and say, you know what, this isn't just a book. And you're gonna blow off the dust and you're gonna say, I'm going to commit to read this book every single day. I wanna make that commitment with you guys tonight. And I want to tell you that tonight I'm, I'm committing to read my Bible for 30 minutes every day for the next month. And I just want you to pop your hand up if you would agree to do that with me too. Just take that. Yeah, take that challenge. All right, I'm paying attention to who it is. So I'm holding you to it, okay? It'll change your life, guys, when we take God's word as truth and allow it to radically affect our hearts and our lives. When we stop listening to all the voices that are liars and we listen to the one truth. As the band comes back up to the stage, would you guys pray with me tonight? Guys, I just want to pray for you right now. Dear Lord, if there's a person in this room tonight who has never even heard your truth from the Bible, God, would you just open their hearts up to hear the greatest truth in your word? And that's John 3, 16 that said, For you so loved the world that you gave your only son, that whoever believed in you, whoever being however broken, however messy, however jacked up, however many past mistakes, whosoever believes in you shall not perish but have eternal life. God, if there's a person who doesn't know that in this room, would they just cling to that truth tonight and be comforted by that? Would you change their life? And God, as we we look to start listening to your word and believing it as gospel truth because it's proven time and time again to be this thing that is life-giving, God, would you strengthen us to stay the course? It's so easy for us to get distracted, to get caught up in the day-to-day and to lose track of the one thing that it's most important for us to be maintained in this life. And that's your word. Your word is what sustains us. It's what fulfills us. And it's what keeps us hungry for more of you. So God, tonight we just commit as a church for this next month to allow you to do a work in our life through your scripture. And God, I believe that in this place, we're gonna see life change. So thank you for tonight. Thank you for each person in this room. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.